Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the Word of God says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, as a book, opens with language that displays the authority of God, the absolute authority of God. It is only God who can pronounce words of judgment in this regard against the city of Nineveh. God is over the nations. He is not just the God of Israel in this sense. He is the God of Assyria also. He is the God who is over Nineveh. And the Ninevites are held accountable to the Lord. The Lord determines what is right and what is wrong. He determines the wickedness or the righteousness of a people. And so he says in verse number 2, Cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now you see a very clear assertion of God's sovereignty and his authority over a pagan nation. But God is also over Jonah the prophet. He's over every creature, and he commands Jonah. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh. He's not asking Jonah. He is telling Jonah what he must do. It's like a parent when they say to their child, when you tidy your room, you may come down for dinner. It's not a request. It's not an asking, will you tidy your room? It is a when you do it, then you come to the next stage. And so God is coming to Jonah and saying, this is what you must do. Again, it's not suggestion. It is words of absolute command. Yet, verse 3 begins with Jonah rebelling against the sovereign authority of God. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. God says, Arise, go up to Nineveh. Jonah rises, but goes in the opposite direction. Now, Jonah may well be almost on his own in his actions here in Old Testament history. Some of the prophets, like Isaiah, well, they, they are bursting with willingness. Here am I, send me. Well, he understands his weakness, but he's willing to do the Lord's bidding. Others are progressively more reluctant. People like Moses and Jeremiah show some reluctance, and God persuades them with his grace and with his authority that they must do his will. But Jonah, he runs in the opposite direction. Okay, and we're not quite sure where Tarshish is or was. We're not quite sure why Jonah chose Tarshish. And the general thought is Nineveh is to the east of Israel. Tarshish likely was to the west. Uh, involved a sea journey there for the Mediterranean. And so there are many who suggest Tarshish was somewhere in Spain, all the way to the far side of the Mediterranean Sea. 
Well, that case is, we don't really know exactly, but one book that I have on this uh, book of Jonah is entitled Anywhere But Nineveh. And I think that's the essence. Anywhere else, just somewhere else, but not to Nineveh. And he goes in the absolute opposite direction. And so tonight I want to think a little bit about Jonah running. I, I understand the metaphor is not wonderful. He's on a boat, but you get the idea he's running from the Lord's presence. The word is used there. He rose up to flee. And so I imagine he, he runs to Joppa. He finds a, a boat there and then his journey continues. But he's running from God. He's running from God's will. He's running from uh, the good pleasure of the Lord. And so let's begin by thinking about the reason for him running. Why? Well, there's all manner of speculation here. And there are several suggestions that are offered as to why Jonah likely runs from this command of God. Some say, well, it is a difficult task. It's an arduous journey to Nineveh. You either go kind of cross country, across desert land, or you go across the, the fertile crescent uh, to the northeast of Israel and round the corner. Either way, it wasn't an easy place to get to, as, as you, if you like. Certainly an arduous journey, not an easy task. And going to a place, according to verse number two, the great city that is great in scope and also in wickedness, as we thought about last time we were together. It's a foreign land. No concept of God, law, and sin. And here you're asking a man to go and to labor in the word and say, this is a word from God. It's a word from God about his law. It's about sin. And you're meant to believe it. God's going to judge and bring judgment upon the city. And so the task is certainly difficult. Others add to that the idea the task is dangerous. Here's an unpopular man, a foreigner coming into the city with an unpopular message. Unpopular as a man with a message in a cruel city. What's going to happen to him? Surely he's not going to survive such a circumstance. Now, I think whenever people suggest those sort of reasons, what they may be doing is, is, is inserting their own thoughts in the situation. And they say, well, if we were in his position, this is how we would feel. We'd be terrified, we'd be scared, we'd, be, we'd think it was too difficult, too dangerous. All of those things would come across our minds. And we can certainly empathize with those thoughts. You know, for some of us, the very thought of evangelizing in the public square brings thoughts of terror to our minds. We, we find ourselves intimidated. We are frightened of people's response. And we, we're wondering what's going to happen if we open our mouths for Christ Jesus. But they are essentially speculative reasons. The only clearly defined reason that we're given is implied in chapter 4, verse 2. And over in chapter 4, verse 2, you have Jonah himself expressing in, in his own testimony why he fled. It says there, verse number 2, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. Here we're getting a reason. Okay, some people say difficult task, dangerous task. But in essence, the issue was that Jonah despised these people. It was to Jonah a despised task. He says there, For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Again, we're reading into even that sentence. 
But the idea is that because God has been merciful, verse number 10 of chapter 3, God repented of the evil. He again had this idea, judgment was going to come, but he's mercy now in light of their repentance. Jonah is displeased by that because more than likely he is a loyal son of God in Israel and has no time for this pagan, wicked nation who are the sworn enemies of Israel. In fact, this nation is going to be used of God very soon to overthrow the northern kingdoms. Again, there are different ideas. Some people suggest that he feared that God's favor to Nineveh indicated that God had rejected Israel. And so he's concerned about his loyalty to his own people and say, well, if God's going to favor the Ninevites, then perhaps God has rejected Israel. But that's not likely the case at this time. When you think of the prophetic scriptures at this time, God's blessing of the Gentiles was contingent on God's favor to Israel. So Gentile nations, like if you think of Abraham's promise, it's, it's in the city of Abraham that nations are blessed. And so it's not likely to be that case. Rather, I think he knew that God would favor Nineveh. And he had a problem there. Whatever the case may be, it is clear from chapter 1 that we see Jonah going in the opposite direction of the will of God. And that's what we should think about. We see Jonah going away from the Lord's command. Now, he may well doubt his ability. He may well fear what obedience would lead to. But ultimately, he's rebelling out of a disagreement with God. And that's what all sinful rebellion comes down to. Again, we may doubt our ability to obey the will of God. We may fear what obedience may lead to. But when we choose not to follow the word of God, it is because we are disagreeing with the mind of God. You think of the important verse, going back to Isaiah chapter 55, where there is this call to repentance. And, and this is why Jonah's actions here, they, they illustrate really the actions of any sinner. Any person who's determining in their mind to, to go their own way and to do their own things. And so in Isaiah chapter 55, we're told to seek the Lord, verse 6, while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. And then verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. And so in verse number 7, the wicked are told to repent by forsaking their own ways and their own thoughts. And the reason verse number 8 is given because their thoughts aren't God's thoughts and their ways aren't God's ways. And so whenever somebody turns away from the Lord, it's because they're choosing their own thoughts and their own ways. It's the only two options. You either do God's will or you do your own will. And by God's grace, what happens when we're born again our wills come into line with God's will. And we're glad to do the will of God. We delight to do the will of God. But it's all of grace. But whenever we're out of step with the Lord, we're finding ourselves in a disagreement with God. Hence, we see the seriousness of rebellion. The rebellion of the sinner. The rebellion of the prophet. The rebellion of all ungodly people. But also the seriousness of God's people when they rebel and go against the Lord. We are essentially saying we know better than God's. We're saying that God's way isn't the best way. And so through such things, we find families in chaos. 
the church undervalued, and God's people not knowing the blessing of the Lord. And so we see here Jonah running, ultimately because of a disagreement with his God. But secondly, note some of the features of his running here. Just some features. First of all, there is the activity involved here. There's activity involved. Jonah rose up and went down to Joppa. He goes down. I know he rises up from where he's sitting, perhaps, and then he flees unto Tarshish and finds himself going down to Joppa. Now, this idea of going down is significant in the thought of the Jew. The Israelites in their pilgrimage would go up to Jerusalem. That's the pathway of blessing. And the pathway of obedience is going up to Jerusalem. That's the language used. Go up to the place of blessing. To go down was to indicate a pathway of rebellion and ruin. And so you have to get the situation where Jacob was encouraged by the Lord in Genesis 46, fear not to go down into Egypt. And so the idea would be in Jacob's mind, I can't go down into Egypt. Going down is always, it's always away from the Lord unless the Lord says otherwise. And so you get Isaiah 31 where it says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots. So you get this vivid language. You go up following God to Jerusalem and you go down in the way of rebellion. And so don't miss that. And know what it says in the text. He went down to Joppa, found a ship, paid the fare, and went down into it. And so you're getting this sense of the progression of Jonah's going down further and further. And he ends up in the, the pit of this ship, trying to flee from the presence of God. So the language itself is suggestive of a backsliding saint of God. Jonah, who has known past blessing, is going away from God. He's going down further and further and further. You know, it's so difficult, isn't it? You find yourself on an icy day, and we've, uh, we've been spared so much of the cold weather this winter, but you find yourself on a hill, and you begin to slip down the way. It is very hard to stop yourself from going further and further and further. And so it is for many of God's people. They begin on a trajectory down away from God, and they find themselves going further and further and further, further than they want to go. That's the activity. But note also, secondly, then the opportunity. As he is going away from God and running from God, we, we find that opportunity comes across his path. He wants to go to Tarshish, verse number 3. He goes to Joppa the port, and as he goes to the port, look what's waiting for him there. There's a ship, a ship going right where he wants to go. Now, we should not get the idea here, this is like Philadelphia Airport, where there are flights to Tarshish every five minutes on the way. Again, these, these are shipping routes that were not readily traveled. And so what you're seeing here is a remarkable time of providence as he may see it. Just the right place at the right time. And he's got the fare. And he's able to pay. And what's more, there's a place for him on the boat. And they're willing to take him, going right where he wants to go. You know, we must be so careful. We believe in a God of providence. A God who superintends all the affairs of our lives. But there's a danger that God's people can read too much into the circumstances in their lives. And you should understand from Jonah's story here that providence is not the same as discerning the perfect will of God for our lives. Whenever we want to go against God, 
can almost guarantee there'll be some pathway of opportunity for you to do so. And the alliance, and you can read into that and say, well, perhaps this is God's. Well, after all, perhaps I misunderstood the word of God. Perhaps I wasn't so clear after all, and I'm going this way, and look what's waiting for me. It, it must be an open door of opportunity. My providence, providence can indeed indicate direction from God. God does open doors and does close doors, but we should not presume that opportunity is the same as obedience. Providence is never God's will when following that providence involves disobedience, as it does here. And so be discerning, be aware of those things. Don't close your mind to God leading providentially, but also see the distinction between a providential circumstance and the very will of God revealed in His Word. Activity. Opportunity. And thirdly, futility. There is futility here in his running. Note what it says. Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. And that is then repeated at the end of the verse. To go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now the problem here is not Jonah's bad theology. I don't think Jonah is denying Psalm 139. You know what it says there, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, going to the east, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, to the west, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. God is omnipresent. And Jonah is not denying that. There's something more particular in this particular phrase. The language literally says, Jonah rose up to flee from the face of God, the face of the Lord. And that language is language that is consistent with the language of that time regarding the work of the prophets. Remember I said last time there's very likely an overlap between Jonah and Elisha, and then back to Elijah. So you've got Elijah, Elisha, and now Jonah, and very likely overlap between Elisha and Jonah, or at least almost coming together in the dates. Well, look back to 1 Kings chapter 17, and notice how the Word of God describes the circumstance regarding Elijah. It's 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. It's a term that denotes the work of the prophets, that they're before the face of God when God brings them a word and commissions them for a task. The same term is used in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 15, when he's interacting with Obadiah. Elijah says, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. And the same is said regarding Elisha in other places also. 2 Kings 3, verse 14, for example, Elisha is before the Lord. And so, in God's presence, the prophet got God's commission and God's message. And so, what Jonah's trying to do here, he is trying to escape his prophetic function. He's called of God to be a prophet. And he's thinking to himself, if I can get away from the Lord's presence, I can get away from my commission. I'm trying to avoid the task that God has given me. That's what's involved here. Jonah's seeking to escape his responsibility, and I presume the assumption that perhaps God will call someone else. It's futile. 
The rest of the story makes it clear that God has Jonah as his man. He's not only going to work in the Ninevites, he's also going to work in Jonah's heart. And so Jonah is not going to be able to escape the presence of God. His attempt is futile. Though he works hard at it, he seems to make some progress. It is a futile attempt to run from God. So, if that's something regarding the reason for his running and then the features of his running, what should our response be to Jonah's running? Now, there are details here that we don't really know. And there are things that we can't fully explain. But we do know for certain that Jonah is in the wrong here. He's going the wrong way in the wrong direction. And so there are three things I want to submit to you. First of all, very simply, we must be those who obey God's word. It's so obvious. Jonah heard a direct word from God and chose to disobey that word. Running from God meant running from God's word. And that's the wrong direction to go. But we also have direct words from God. Not as a call to go to Nineveh or somewhere else, but we have God's direct commands in our lives. And yet, is it not the case that we are so much like Jonah that we come to question God's word? Again, think of some examples it may offer to you. Think of the church life. You people, again, in our community who ask the question, do I really have to be part of a local church life? Is it not just enough to have my own private devotions? Do I really have to involve myself with God's people in that sense and, and commit myself to a church? And so the spirit of the age questions the word of God. Think of family life. Are the roles of husband and wife really good? Wouldn't it be better if there's an egalitarian model for family life rather than the wife submitting to the husband? Surely that's not a good thing. And so we question the will of God when it comes to these things. We've got clear words from God, and yet we second-guess the will of God. We presume that our ways are wiser than God's ways. You take young people. God says, wait for marriage. The young people say, really? That's not what's happening in the world around us now. Is that really God's will for us? Surely there's a better way, a way that's, that's less arduous. And we find ourselves continually questioning the will of God. Take the Sabbath day. I, I could do some really productive work on the, on the seventh day. Surely if I can work seven days, I can be more productive. I can earn more money. I can then give more to the church. Surely it makes more sense to be able to work seven days rather than taking this one day aside to worship God. And we question the will of God. We question the word of God. That's just examples. We can multiply the examples going through the commandments of God. We have God's direct word. And yet we find ourselves saying, well, we're wiser than God. So we look at Jonah and say, Jonah, how could you be so foolish? How could you be so foolish to hear a word directly from God and then run the opposite direction? How, how could you do that, Jonah? But we know how he does it. Because often within our own hearts, we have the very same spirit. Thank the Lord for his grace that gives us a desire to obey the word of God. Secondly, we must submit to God's sovereign ways. You see, if it is true here that Jonah is doubting the grace of God to the Ninevites, what he's really doing is he's questioning the wisdom of God and the workings of God and the ways of God. And so he's looking at the working of God in human history. And he sees God's going to spare this wicked people. 
That mustn't be right, God. Your ways are not the right ways. Your providential governing of this world is not good. And he questions the will of God. Jonah, how could you question the wisdom of the all-wise God? And yet, do we not find ourselves doing the very same things? God, are you sure this is the best thing for my life right now? Are you sure that what happened in the past year, all the challenges I face, are you sure that's the best way? And we find ourselves doubting God and wondering at the workings of God in our lives. So obey, obey God's word, submit to God's ways, and thirdly, desire God's presence. I've said to you already, the context here of Jonah 1 verse 3 regarding the presence of God is a very unique and particular circumstance. But the application is simple. We should desire to be in communion with God, that we are always willing to be used by God. Jonah was in the past. Previously, he's before the face of God. He gets a word from God. He hears from God, and he discharges that responsibility. But now we find himself going in the opposite direction. You know, past experiences are important. Past times of blessing are important, but they don't prevent us falling in the present. And so the past is beneficial, but we need the present reality of walking with God and living in communion with God so that we sit in the face of God through Christ and through his blood. And it's Christ who has, by his blood, drawn us near to God. And so those who are reconciled to God by the blood of Christ, they are those who must say, here am I, use me, here am I, send me. Whatever the calling may be, we live in communion with God, that we are willing to serve God. However small the task may be, however great the task may be, whatever we must do, we're seeking to live in communion with God. It's a fearful thing for a child of God to try to run from the face of God. We are drawn near to God by Christ's blood. That is a place of great privilege. But in that place, we must understand that we come before the commands of God and we submit to the commands of God and we do the will of God for the glory of God, for the good of our own souls. And so we sang the hymn, Trust and Obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We're not so unlike Jonah after all. The heart of Jonah is very much the heart that can exist in any of God's children. But yet God is not going to let his servant go. We praise God for that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.